You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This is Luke Vanderlinden, Vice President of Membership and Marketing at the Retail and Hospitality ISAC. And this is the RHISAC Podcast. You're listening to the podcast for retail and hospitality cybersecurity professionals, CISOs, analysts, and other practitioners. We focus on content about the latest challenges, opportunities, and best practices unique to cybersecurity specifically in the retail and hospitality industry. New episodes drop twice a month. You can hear the new ones and all the old ones at thecyberwire.com. So let's get to it. Today, we're joined by Courtney Radke, field CISO for retail and hospitality at Fortinet. Courtney is no stranger to the RHISAC podcast. He has regularly brought us his insights, and Fortinet has been a great supporter of the podcast since its inception. Today, Courtney also brings us a guest. Ryan Lang, who is the IT Director of Security and Infrastructure at Batteries Plus. We're going to have a great conversation that will touch on everything from how the rapid adoption of technology over the past few years has impacted cybersecurity, to third-party risk, to the blurring of lines between physical and digital. Then, we will have a member spotlight. This will also be a recurring feature of the podcast. Today, we're joined by Chris De La Rosa, Senior Threat Intel Analyst from Dick Sporting Goods. He's one of our more active members. His name and voice pops up on our calls and on our sharing platforms all the time. We'll learn a little bit about Chris on a personal level, then how he got to where he is now career-wise. And also, Chris attended the first of our regional workshops in Phoenix a couple weeks ago. He'll talk about his experiences there. But before we get to those two segments, I do want to talk about some fairly big news out of Washington, D.C. last week. The White House issued a new national cybersecurity strategy the first such cybersecurity strategy released since 2018. Our partners at the National Retail Federation highlighted two areas for us in which the strategy is potentially relevant to the retail sector. One is a general call for broader cybersecurity regulatory action in critical infrastructure sectors. And the second is a focus on shifting responsibility away from end users to software and technology companies. So let's look at both of these closer for a second. First, the increased regulatory action builds on what the current administration has done over the past two years to mandate cybersecurity improvements in, quote, critical sectors, which usually means things like pipelines, maritime transportation, aviation systems, things like that. Retail is considered a subsector of the commercial facilities sector. We're getting into real government speak now. But as a result, while there is no denying that retail is fundamentally vital to our society, there are some concerns that broad-based cyber regulatory activities that are intended for those higher risk sectors I just mentioned, energy, transportation, water, etc., could have an inadvertent impact on retail. Second, the White House calls on software and technology companies to build greater responsibility for cybersecurity, noting that, quote, end users bear too great a burden for mitigating cyber risks. The White House is calling on Congress to develop legislation, meaning laws, establishing liability for software products and services. Generally speaking, this broader focus around software security risks 
could be a net positive for the retail sector, given that many retail cyber incidents today are the result of third-party software vulnerabilities. Now, the RHISAC doesn't do any policy work ourselves, but we will stay abreast of these and all regulatory issues affecting our members' work through our partnership with the National Retail Federation. If you want to be a part of that work, or if you want to opine on anything you hear on the RHISAC podcast, let us know at podcast at rhisac.org. That's podcast at rhisac.org. All right, and now we are joined by Courtney Radke. Courtney is the field CISO for uh, retail and hospitality for Fortinet. Court and I got to spend a little time together at the National Retail Federation Big Show in New York in January. Good to see you again, Court. Good to see you, Luke. That feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> it, it does. It does. So much has happened since then. But, uh, you know, you're, you're not a stranger to our podcast. Fortinet's been very, uh, very supportive of the RHISAC podcast from the beginning. So we like to have you on occasionally. Uh, Courtney, you brought a guest today. Who do you have with you? I did. I did. I'm joined by Ryan Lang, the IT Director for Security and Infrastructure at Batteries Plus. Welcome, Ryan. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, Court, you're going to start with a little bit of a, a brief for us and, and tell us what you guys are seeing uh, in, in your work uh, these days. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an appropriate time because uh, Fortinet just released the uh, half two of 2022 threat uh, threat reports, our annual threat report. We kind of break that up into to two cycles in a year. And honestly, guys, it, 2022 was a lot of the same. And then going into 2023, we're seeing kind of ebbs and flows. Um, you know, throughout the year, we see it spike towards the midsummer fall. We see that, you know, late year push with the, you know, holiday shopping and things like that gradually coming to normal levels. And I do, I do, you know, I do normal with air quotes here because what is normal anymore? Um, we've set such a high precedence for the amount of ransomware, the quantity and quality, um, that's been going out there that we just continue to set records every year. So what we found, you know, was it's kind of whack-a-mole a little bit where some of the most prevalent ransomware groups that we saw previously, they either on purpose or sometimes inadvertently, they halted their operations a little bit. But when that happened, it allowed for another one to emerge, another one to come up. Why is that happening? Well, one of the most troubling things that we've seen is, is just how easy it is um, to kind of put these ransomware campaigns out there to create these crime-as-a-service offerings, as you will. They're almost a la carte you know, we saw one recently where it included a, an entire server, it, in, it included the remote access Trojan, it, re, it included every single piece, and you could add a little bit more on if you paid for it. It's truly becoming a business. We saw about 40%, I think it was 37% of all ransomware campaigns come from the top five families because they're merging together. It's, it's a big business for them. It's really crime as a service. So the bigger issue that we've kind of seen, well, ransomware is huge, botnets, all that stuff is huge. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard of this and are watching for it too, is wipers. You know, they, they really have been around for a long time. We saw the first instance of a wiper, I believe in 2012. Um, and then a resurgence with, uh, you know, the war in Ukraine. But we know that those geopolitical boundaries rarely stay there. Um, and they found that they could use that for harm across the world um, in all different industries. So wipers have really had a resurgence as of late. And that's kind of where I want to go. They're kind of setting the tone of, it's a little bit of the same, but they're, they're kind of changing their approach a little bit. More groups or new groups are coming up. That's not to say that the, you know, the tried and true baddies aren't out there. They still are. The, the, the large groups, the Lazarus groups and you know, Revel group and others, they're still operating and they're still making a lot of money. 
it's not all doom and gloom because we have seen in the news, you know, that they have been arrested. There's some of these groups are getting shut down, but it's still, it's still a constant struggle out there. So I want to kind of set the tone here, guys, is talk about, you know, in retail, how have some of the paradigm shifts over the last year of bringing on new technology, uh, new business models, you know, in supply chain, all of these things, how has that kind of changed on the approach that us as security practitioners have to take? And, and specifically, Ryan, you get your insights and perspective on what is it like out there? What is it like in the world right now being, you know, a security practitioner in, in the real world in the business? So let's kind of start there. I just kind of teed it up a little bit of the adoption of technology, right? I'm sure that you have created a lot more, um, you know, had a lot more technology adoption, invested a lot more in technology. It's supposed to make the, the customer journey easier, frictionless experiences, create better employee experiences, but, you know, double-edged sword, it, it normally comes with an increased risk. So maybe talk to me a little bit about, you know, some of the implementations you've had and, and how that's, you know, increased risk and kind of what you guys are doing about it. Sure, absolutely. Uh, one of the biggest changes that we had was in all 750 locations, we moved to enabling buy online and curbside pickups. And just implementing that, that strategy move, moving forward, it was, very, it was very tedious to make sure that we had all the security in place because now we're actually taking outside the store, we're actually you know taking credit cards and that sort of information and making sure that's secure all the way um, back to our, our trusted platform for credit card payments. That was that was one of the biggest things, just to make sure that, that was done correctly, um, and that was very much because of the pandemic. That that yeah. it was a requirement. Right. Everybody became an e-commerce uh, retailer during the pandemic, right? Overnight. 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 You, if you didn't have an e-commerce website, <laughs> you were struggling. We we often talk about this in the terms of. People don't really say digital transformation anymore. It's either digital acceleration or differentiation because you've already done it. You've already put in this stuff. And Ryan, I have to assume that that included, you know, the buy online, pick up and store that it included increases in your cloud landscape and in- included increases in IoT inside of the stores or, or tablet or something, some sort of technology to make sure that you knew people were there or point of presence, something like that. Yeah, on the store side, it wasn't, we were, we were lucky enough to be set up uh, a lot for some of the mobile stuff. So that, that wasn't a big, um, a big driver for us just because we were set up to, we, we were already installing batteries in people's cars outside. So it was just a matter of figuring out, okay, now we, we really don't want them in the store at all. How do we go about doing that? Yeah, that's in, it's interesting. We don't want you in the store. You know, it, you, you can come in if you want, right? But we want you to stay outside. And honestly, we've gotten so used to as consumers that, right? I, I pull up, I check in and within, you know, I, I like it to be within, you know, five minutes at the most that you're out there and you're delivering my product. I think we become uh, you creatures of habit and we, we like that. I think, you know, maybe you were set up for this, but, but Ryan, as you, as you know, a lot of businesses, they had to quickly adapt and adopt new technology. They threw in sensors, mo- new mobile apps, new, e- you know, e-commerce, that, that check-in system. They didn't have that before. So what we've seen is because of that, 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 Increase in vulnerabilities that I talked about—that two hundred thousand plus, that total attack surface. Attackers know that too, um, and so one of the biggest things we've seen is kind of a shift in mindset of less on the objectives at the end. There's there's still obviously 
you know, being successful in some cases, but they're focusing so much more now on the recon and the weaponization. And so they may be looking at you from an external attack service perspective or looking at your news wire or, you know, just tr- trying to come into your business and move horizontally without making any noise before they ever attack. So the recon and weaponization is, is definitely a higher focus for, for threat actors. They're learning the gaps, they're learning your vulnerabilities, they're learning what that red zone is, right? The ones that actually impact you. Um, and so again, we, we talk about it in the total, and that's at 200,000, the open, which is what is pertinent to your business. And then that red zone of the, we, we find that it's, it's about 1%, honestly, of that 200,000 total that's really actually critical to, to look at right now. So from, from your perspective, are you focusing more time on that, the pre-attack? Obviously, we'd like to stop it before it ever happens, right? So that technologies that are in place for the, the left of the attack are critically important right now. Yeah, and, and a lot of that comes down to it, it, it's hard to it's hard to predict what's going to be next. So it's just a matter of being prepared for what's coming, and that's where we're really help being helpful with like segmenting things on our network. And that's just a very basic thing. Like we always we always talk about zero trust, and and sometimes it's available to us, and sometimes it's not. But it's, but for from my perspective, it's about providing flexibility to the franchise because we're a franchise-owned company, and we we want to make sure that that franchise has the ability to do the business the way they want to do business at the same time being able to provide a secure product for them against all of these vulnerabilities and and it's it's a given it's a give and take on the security landscape because to have flexibility you have to give up just a little bit of security and it's just a matter of where's the right risk factor and what what threats are what threats are pertinent to the business and what threats aren't pertinent to the business some of it is protected to it from us from the firewall perspective. Like they're not, we we segment all of our stores so they cannot get back to to our corporate office, and that's by design. So therefore, if something happens at a corporate store, it is isolated to that store, and and that's one of the big things that we do to make sure that threats aren't coming into the network. So if it, from two things, threat can't come in through the through our Fortnite system, and it, it's amazing, we like it, and then making sure that it can't traverse from store to store and can't traverse within the store. For instance, we, we, we were thinking about drive-bys, someone with a, a wireless scanner that's driving past our store that has all of a sudden, because like I said, we're in the parking lot doing work. What if someone has a wireless scanner and is trying making sure that's segmented off from the rest of the network so they can't get and propagate and traverse through our network? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest things that we see. And, and that's, that's an important note because we still see organizations, Luke, I'm sure that you've talked to some out there as well, that segmentation is still a concept that they haven't quite grasped yet, right? They're, they're still flat network. Everything can talk to everything. And whew, that's, a, that's just a recipe for disaster right now. Right. And, and dealing with franchisees is a, is another layer of risk, right? That, you know, where third party risk is something that we're all, uh, there's a lot of focus on, uh, and that you have it on both ends, both your franchisees, but also then your supplier's end as well, right? Yeah. Let's touch on that a little bit. So third party risk can mean a lot of things. It can mean the franchisees and the technology that they bring into the organization, but also think about your supply chain. And now in retail, we talk about supply chain as let's get the product into the customer's hands. That Yes, that is supply chain. But what it also means is all of these integrations that, is, that you've had to take for your digital transformation, you're talking about you, know, you pick up and go, your curbside, your delivery services, warehousing, distribution, logistics, on and on. All of those are normally different pieces, parts, integrations into the environment. And if we go back to the, you know, the hacks of, of years past, it's, it's 
it's not you that was the target or it wasn't your systems that were necessarily vulnerable. It's, you know, the HVAC system or the something else. So maybe talk about, you know, Ryan, what you guys are doing to enable safer integrations of third party technology or, you know, through your partnerships, because you, you know, Batteries Plus probably has a bunch of partnerships that you leverage to, to make that machine work. How are you working through enabling better integrations and maybe talk about how you conduct or how you assess risk when you're bringing on new third parties? So, so speaking to the, the integration piece first for our third party, for especially, specifically for our warehouse, we went to the cloud. We made sure that we could do all of our, all of our transactions cloud-based and then made sure that the internet was available by bringing in um, multiple connections into that warehouse to make sure that we always had connectivity um, to the internet. Because now the internet is a, and having that connectivity to our third parties is very important to making sure our warehouse, if our internet goes down, our warehouse stops. And, and that's something that we have to make sure that we maintain. Um, as far as vetting the vendors, yeah, that's, that's a huge piece because of all, it, everything's integrated. And it's not even, it's not even vetting the vendors. It's, it's what, what are those vendors? What third parties do they have? And, and that's, where, that's where the layers deep come, come in and you have to figure out, okay, who are they playing with to make sure that they're also responsible? Um, and, and that's where it gets a little fuzzy. So. Right. I, no one ever calls it this, but I call it fourth party, fifth party, sixth party risk. Sure. Let's coin the term now. It's the six degrees of separation because you're absolutely right. Everybody's doing business with somebody else. And if, again, if we look at not of yonder, but of just of the last year, some of the largest attacks out there have been in the supply chain, meaning software, you know, that widely used software packages that everybody has out there, you know, that's been the target because they know that everybody's using them. And so, you know, you may not have something in your organization. You feel like you don't have a vulnerability. I think, you know, the Hafnium exchange vulnerability of a, a year ago or so, you know, people may have not known or may not know that they had exchange on prem or they were doing business with somebody that had exchange on prem. And then, so then there, uh, you know, susceptible to attack because they're doing, you know, business with somebody else that has it. So it's, it's, it's tricky. We've seen a lot of organizations doing third-party risk assessments prior to, but then how do you write that to letter of law and say, look, I'll do business with you if you meet these standards, but then how do you impress upon them that everybody that they're doing business with has to meet the same standards? It's tough. It's tough. And I don't know if you talked about drive-by in this way, you're talking about like, you know, Wi-Fi sniffers, Flipper, right? The RFID one, that's a pretty interesting one right now. It's amazing. It's a really, it's a really cool tool. I, I, I highly recommend picking up a flipper, and it is, it is eye opening to see what you can see. I, I have, one. I use it, I use it for good because I reprogram like RFID keys, like for gyms or something else, and just program to my phone, so I can only have to carry my phone. But it can be used completely the wrong way, right? To, to copy cards, to do things that you shouldn't ever be able to do. But it, it just opens your eyes to, wow, I didn't know it was that easy, right? So there's new tools that are out there. That goes back to the commoditization of it. It's as a service, and all of these tools are out there. They could be used for good, but in the wrong hands, it could be used for bad. It also speaks just a, a little bit here to the to the merger of the cyber world and the physical world, right? That uh, that these tools, these technology tools, are used to to kind of create another vulnerability in the physical world. Absolutely. And where, where's the conduit for the physical, right? It's the person. And so when we talk about things like drive-by downloads, we talk about things like phishing, spear, spear phishing, 
smishing, vishing, all of these ishings, and then the social engineering, all of the aspects of that. Those are the predominantly successful methods. It always comes down to layer eight. It's, it's normally the person that's, whether it's nefarious or not, um, you know, mistakes get made, misconfigurations. That is, that is number one. I feel like though, the guy, the people get a bad rap. The, the human firewall can be your first line of defense instead of the weakest link. So maybe Ryan, talk to me a little bit about how you are trying to make sure that uh, the human firewall is that first link with training and awareness and some other stuff within Battery Plus. Oh yeah, and the human the human aspect that that is how they're going to get in almost indefinitely. So the, the, it is the number one thing that you need to protect is you need to protect people from themselves. Um, at Batteries Plus, we we do a lot of phishing campaigns, a lot of spear phishing campaigns. Like we'll create custom campaigns for certain departments to make sure that they're doing things the right way and making we still have we still have to do our compliance, do our annual training, which. Most people find a little bit dry, but it's a great reminder to exactly what what's out there and to make them cognizant that it is these things are happening and and you're one click away from doing harm to the organization whether you meant to or not and and nobody means to it's just a matter of making sure that they know if it looks suspicious tell i t that's the first thing we say is just the the basics you know tell i t never give out your password just very basic principles. If it if it smells funny, looks funny, you know, tell us. We'll, we'll take a look at it, and and that's one of the, the communications that we're trying to send out, almost on a monthly basis, without trying to get fatigue in the user seeing all of these notifications all the time from IT saying you have to be careful. So it's a line you got to walk. A, a lot of our campaign, we do the same, right? Um, as a cybersecurity organization, we should, um, but they be, they become pretty good too. You know, some of them. Ooh, I think twice. I look at it like this. This looks it, it. It is targeted towards me, and so they're getting pretty good about it. I think what we've, you know, we've done a good job about, and other organizations um, gamify it, right? Just just make sure that it's it's engaging. Yes, sometimes it can be dull, and sometimes you you know that you know the employees ask themselves, shouldn't I be protected from this? Why am I getting so many fake phishing campaigns? But again, all it takes is one click, and, and that's that's one of the things we did have to combat is we had like. People on Slack all of a sudden saying, hey, this phishing campaign's coming out. And I'm like, no, you, you can't tell people it's coming. It's always coming. Oh, Just- come on. <laughs> Help each other out, right? Right. <laughs> so, Ryan, in your world then, with all of these threats coming at you fast and furious, how, aside from obviously listening to the RHI sack and everything that they have to offer, how do you stay up with the latest cyber threats facing the business? Um, a lot of it, a lot of it is community reading. So a lot of it is understanding who's in your community and what they're seeing in, I like to see in the atmosphere because it's not quite down on the earth yet, but it's in the atmosphere. It's, it's around. What are people sniffing out? How are people being attacked? Because it could happen to you. It ends up being attending conferences. I found t- attending conferences and, and, and getting my network to be larger to understand all the different places that I can look to get information on what the landscape looks like for retail, um, and specifically for retail, because it has slightly different um, characteristics than uh, straight manufacturing. I mean, it came from manufacturing, different threat landscape. The vectors are kind of the same, you know, the, how they how they get in are kind of the same, but it it is it is different. There's nuances that you have to understand to be able to protect your business effectively. So, I mean, I, I think 
the community, group, peer-to-peer relationships, those types of things. Those are absolutely critically important. Unfortunately, sometimes the best information that you can get is, uh, oh, it happened to somebody else. You learn that information, but we learn, we we do truly learn from that. And I think it's important to kind of share that information out there. And and it's really important to see all the public bulletins that are being published by, by your, the manufacturers of your equipment, whatever it is, because they'll, they'll tell you when there's a security vulnerability because they have people looking at it and it's really important not to ignore those. And that sounds like, like, oh, this one's not going to affect me. No, no, you have to do something about it and you have to have a plan in place on what's going to happen when it happens. You, you just need to have that. Well, I really liked what you had to say about sharing and collaboration, particularly with your peers in the sector, uh, because there are unique, unique threats in the consumer-facing sector as well. Uh, Courtney Radke and for Fortinet and Ryan Lang for Batteries Plus, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Really appreciate your insights. Uh, I look forward to staying in touch with you guys moving forward. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And coming up next, our March member spotlight, Chris De La Rosa from Dick Sporting Goods. Chris De La Rosa from Dick Sporting Goods, Senior Threat Intel Analyst. Thank you for joining us on the RHI SAC podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, uh, so you've been a pretty active member uh, for the time that, that uh, you've been uh, with Dick Sporting Goods. Why don't you start off and tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your background? Sure. I'm a, I'm a Senior Threat Intelligence Analyst uh, at Dick Sporting Goods. I've been on the team for going on two years. Prior to joining GSG, uh, I worked six years in managed services you know, kind of working with, you know, different clients um, when I was at, you know, EY and VMware and, and, and A&M. Right. So what, what, how did you get into cybersecurity and how did you get into the role that you're in now, the part of it you're in now? It was a natural progression from working at, uh, at the help desk. I had an interest in cybersecurity and I was fortunate enough to be given an opportunity. Uh, my wife is actually in cybersecurity, uh, which is why I was able to make the transition from a typical stock analyst to threat intelligence. You know, the work that she did always always interested interested me. Uh, she kind of helped give me guidance on on how to get into to CTI. You know what to study, read, and listen to. And she was the one that kind of tipped me off to uh, Intel techniques from from Michael Basil. Then once I kind of got that book uh, a few years ago, it was kind of just off to the races after that. Wow! So it's really a family business for you. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's definitely cool to to have like your wife as a. a, a you know, threat intelligence and cybersecurity professional, like in the same room. I also have a brother who works for, uh, you know, Dragos in, in, uh, in the accounting department. Um, but yeah, it's definitely cool to, to have like family and they kind of, you know, your, your wife kind of understands like what you're going through, what some of the challenges are. And it's cool to like bounce ideas off of her. When you're at family dinners or at family barbecues, do you have your own traffic light protocol that you have to follow just to make sure you don't talk about things? Yeah, we actually do. Like whenever we, like something happens, me and my wife are like, okay, well, I know it was like really crazy at work, but we kind of got to give like a high level overview and don't mention any clients. Don't, you know, be very, really vague about it. Uh, and most of the times, like our family is just like, okay, yeah, y'all guys do something with computers. And we're like, yeah, pretty much like that's what we do. <laughs> sure. Sure. Just uh, whatever you say, we do that. We do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so what, so what is your day to day like in your current job? Yeah, my day to day, it, it isn't consistent. It depends on my research, the business needs, 
however I can help the team. You know, that includes threat writing, OSINT, working with digital fraud, marketing, social media, operations, and legal. Uh, even work with different members of, of the RHI sec. Right. You're very, you're very, very collaborative, I have to say. So, uh, you got to go to the last, uh, or the, the workshop that kicked off our season of regional workshops, uh, last month in, uh, in Phoenix. And, uh, so tell us, tell us all about that and how, how did that uh, compare to the other events you've been to for the RHI SAC? It was great. You know, being able to go out and meet different RHI SAC members is always good. You know, I enjoy seeing some friends from the RHI SAC, you know, JJ. Uh, was there. So it's cool to like meet them in person. And, and, you know, since it was at PetSmart or PetSmart, you know, Chris Trudeau was there and I, I got to talk to him and he was one of the presenters. So it's cool to like listen to your friends who are presenters and you, you, you get an opportunity to hear about a bunch of different things that I typically wouldn't work with, whether it's like vulnerability management or, or automation. Excellent. So it, it gives you a little more insight into, into the broader cybersecurity landscape and not just your own, your own activities. Yeah, exactly. Like my main wheelhouse is just CTI. And so being able to hear things from like a, an engineering perspective on how automation can make things easier is really awesome. So is that, would you say, one of your main takeaways from the workshop? Yeah, I think my, one of the main takeaways that I got was everyone has the same pain points. You know, we're all customer facing. So the challenges are very similar regardless of what company um, that we work for. Uh, you know, phishing attacks are the, are the main vector that threat actors use to target us and customers. And you get thousands of emails a day. You need to be able to manage the workload and find a way to automate what you can. And with automation, it, it helps make our lives easier. It helps with the staffing. If you don't have the headcount and you're understaffed, it helps you kind of get through the day. Uh, you're going to need a good tool set and people who can help code to make that happen. That was you know, one of the main things that, that, we, that they talked about at, at the workshop. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I wasn't there, unfortunately. I'll go to I'll go to one of the future ones we have. But um, I've heard, and I can't remember where I heard this, that automation is a great way to not only ease the burden on CTI analysts, but uh, it helps with retention as well because you get to focus on more interesting things that require human touch and not just kind of the rote uh, responding to to every single incident you see. Would Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I think it makes. It makes the OSINT in the research a lot quicker. You know, a lot of people can do the manual process of OSINT, but if you have like a tool that kind of scrapes all those data sources, it helps you focus on more on, on the more important things instead of like, let me go out and identify, you know, this this telegram, this discord or this, this crack forum, uh, this posting, this content that we need to be interested in. Excellent. So. Looking beyond on other activities other than the the regional workshop you just attended, how else are you involved with the RHI sec? I'm in a few of the RHI sec interest groups. My favorite one is the dark web working group. Uh, you know, we have biweekly syncs, um, work with you know, work on different items with that the members bring. We go over different ways that we can improve as analysts and balance ideas off each other. Um, me and a few of the members of the dark dark web working group, we gave a talk at last year's um, RHI Six Cyber Intelligence Summit. So it was cool to to be a part of that. And you know, I do want to say you know, I appreciate the opportunities that I've been given by the RHI Sec, and, and more specifically, Mukhtar Kalati. He's awesome. I, I can't say you know more great things about that guy. We'll have to get uh, Mukhtar on the podcast. JJ's been on a couple times, but I don't think Mukhtar's been been yet. Uh, so you went to the summit last year. I think that's when we met. Um, are, are we going to see you then uh, at this one uh, this year or uh, any other RHI SAC events coming up? Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll be going to to the Cyber Intelligence uh, Summit again. Uh, and with COVID, it kind of 
limited amount of human human interaction that I had the last few years. So it was great to to go to the summit and, and meet people in person. And I'm also going to be um, hopefully giving another talk at the at the summit this year. So that that'll be pretty pretty good to to do that again. I'll put a I'll put a good word in for you when you uh, when you submit your. Uh submit your proposal to, to speak. Um, so like just, just going back broadly to, to your career path, um, and how it wasn't exactly a straight line to get, uh, to where you are today. Would, would you have any other advice for anybody else looking to either get into cybersecurity or who may be in and trying to figure out what their next steps are? Yeah, definitely. I think like trying to find like what you really like, like I did, I, I did, you know, sock work for, for like a while. And I always had that interest in, in doing research. And like you mentioned, my way to, to cybersecurity is really unconventional. I I got a degree in liberal arts. Uh, <laughs> I was a history major in college, um, so they, you know I never would have imagined that being a history major when I was going to school and then where I am right now it, it was definitely something that that I, I, I didn't imagine. I think like if you can figure out what you're really passionate about and what you like, it kind of helps. It kind of helps drive you for that. Like for me, my passion is is threat intelligence. Anything that I can learn or identify or new OSINT techniques. Like I'm always trying to find new things that, that people can can use and, and make things a little bit easier. And people who are inter- even cybersecurity professionals who are who are new to the retail industry, I would recommend joining the RHISEC uh, weekly call and Slack channel. There's a lot of good information sharing that goes on with there, you know, and the, the Slack channel is always good because there's, there's people are constantly posting reports to come out or things that they find or articles. Uh, and even joining like a working group, there's one for, for everyone. There's IR, dark web, digital fraud. I just really enjoy the dark web working group personally, just cause, you know, I'm a part of it and being able to, to collaborate is really, really awesome. And, and another thing, even if they aren't necessarily in retail, like listen to this podcast is super awesome. Uh, like one of my favorite episodes is the Ira Winkler one. Like I love, um, his book, you know, you can't stop uh, stupid. Um, uh, so it was like cool to like listen to that. And he was at the, the summit. So it was cool to like hear him present and then also uh, hear him on the podcast. Yeah, that was a great interview. I was very lucky to have been assigned that one uh, to interview Ira and, and, uh, and I got the title of his book wrong. You can stop stupid is, uh, is what uh, he wanted to, uh, to wanted to stress and emphasize. So that was great. Uh, well, Chris, thank you very much. I'm glad uh, that we had a chance to chat and uh, I look forward to uh, hearing your voice on the weekly Intel call and seeing you out there on the sharing channels. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Chris mentioned that interview with Ira Winkler recorded during the RHISEC Summit last year. I was very lucky to be the interviewer in that segment, and it truly was a fascinating conversation. That entire episode can be found at thecyberwire.com or wherever you listen to high-quality podcasts like ours. Just look for episode 16 from October 12th, 2022. Here's a little taste. Now, in your presentation that you just gave, you're fresh off the stage at, at the summit as a keynote, you talked a lot about how awareness is only really a smaller part of the problem when it comes to the human element of cybersecurity. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, basically, when people think of phishing messages, they think a user clicked on the phishing message. The knee-jerk reaction is, oh, we're not going to blame the user. We just don't think they're aware enough, which is blaming the user when you think about it. But really, the situation is, how did the 
email, the phishing message, get into the user's inbox in the first place. And then even if a user does click on a phishing message, in theory, why is that the end of the, you know, why is that the end game? You know, you theoretically should have, and I shouldn't say theoretically, you should have a variety of protections in place. Everybody, for example, has anti-malware. Everybody, well, most organizations have web content filters and data leak prevention, as an example. All of these things go ahead and basically supplement awareness in stopping the problem. Awareness is a tactic. You need a strategy to deal with the human problem because no matter what, there is no such thing as a human firewall. There is no such thing as a perfect user. And even if a user is perfect in theory and knowing what to do, they're going to make mistakes inevitably. I do recommend listening to the whole interview when you get the chance, but I do apologize for the sound quality. We are on location at the Hilton Granite Park in Plano, Texas, and it was recorded before we had the amazing team at the CyberWire doing our production for us. Speaking of whom, thank you to our senior producer, Jennifer Iben, and the sound team of Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester, and to our own producers at the RHI SAC, Annie Chambliss and Marisa Treshinecki. Once again, if you have anything you want to say to us, good, bad, or ugly, shoot us an email at podcast at rhisac.org. We'll have a new episode in two weeks. In the meantime, stay safe out there. Mm-hmm.